Hello everyone, before this episode starts, just want to give you a quick heads up that there are some curse words used through this, just like one or two sprinkled in throughout the episode. Um, nothing too serious, but in case you're listening with kids around, you might want to put in headphones. Alright, on with the show. I mean, let's, let's be honest, we might say we care, but it doesn't bother us day to day because empire benefits us and we're in a system that we say empire's bad down with empire equality and equity for all and then we get in our car and drive and pick up our kid from our suburban high school and we go oh how was your day and don't think twice about what we just did Hello, and welcome to Evangel Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. Your other co-host, Don Schieber. And welcome back to another week of us going through our series of Acts, a field guide for overthrowing empire and oppression. Yes. Week yes. Week is this? Is this week five? Yeah, uh, yeah, it is week five, even though it's Acts four, because we did the preamble about what we're talking about when we talk about empire and oppression. So if you haven't listened to that, pause now, go back and listen to it. Also, if you haven't read this week's chapter, um, there is another mini episode in your feed for it. So check that out as well. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Um, so Don, what, uh, where, where do you want to start this week? Uh, well, let's start with you. If there's there's any space or places in which this kind of stands out to you, or anything that you read that you're like, okay, this this could be an interesting uh, perspective on discussing empire. Well, one of the things that really jumped out um, was in. I mean, so I feel like when we've gone over the last couple of weeks, it's been hard for me to just pick out like this is an obvious example of empire or feeding into empire. I mean, a lot of what we talk about and have talked about in dealing with the text are allegories or imagery or, you know, things that you have to finesse out of it. And we talk about how that's been kind of how I've learned that through discipleship with you and just the tradition that we come from in that. Right. And so I feel like that there are rarely any red light, obvious examples of, of whatever subject we're trying to tie into. Um, but so after Peter and John are arrested and they're sent before the Sanhedrin, um, verse 17, as, as the elders and everyone are talking um, behind closed doors, but to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And they're referring to, Jesus and John teaching and healing in the name of Jesus, which we talked about last week with the lame man who was healed after 40 years. Right. That is active suppression. Yeah. So, so there's something that I think is, is interesting right before that. Right. Um, like verse 16, read that once. What are we going to do with these men? They asked, everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. 
Yeah, so I, th I think we can, I mean, how would we read that in a way that is kind to them? Um, so by kind, I mean, I assume you mean when, whenever we talk about uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the elders and the scribes and the Sanhedrin, it gets into anti-Jewish at best, anti-Semitic at worst, if you're not careful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we just, we tend to read it with a bias towards they're the bad guys and they're the opposition. Yeah. So if we read this in a way that honors them instead of uh, assumes the worst of them, let's assume the best of them. How How would we read this? I mean... I guess uh, just going off the cuff, I think about, you know, uh, these people are not excited about being under the thumb of Rome. Okay. And so in order to maintain some level of control of their tradition, because they've been in, they've been exiled before and now they're exiled in a sense at home. Right. So they're in occupation. Yeah. Uh, so, I guess what I would think about is, you know, how can we maintain some sense of um, normalcy in what we do without uh, having ourselves ejected from Rome? Because things are bad, but things are manageable with us having some sense of control over some parts of our everyday life. Things would be worse if Rome came in and said, nope, never mind, and we take all of them out, as in removed from power. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's a, I think there's this, definitely that piece, right? That don't rock the boat, you know, um, you're going to, it could be worse. Um, you know, Jesus is, has just been lynched for be, being a leader of an uprising that whatever amount Rome perceived it to be, does, it doesn't matter, but that Rome perceived to be a threat to the throne of Caesar, right? So whether Rome was actually worried about it, Caesar actually ever heard about it, doesn't matter. It's just Jesus was put to death as, as a person. Uh, and I don't like put to death. I, lynched is the best term or murdered um, because he was a threat to Roman occupation of Israel. And so in this section, we see the... the the leaders of Israel saying like, um, where does it say? It says when they saw the man, this is verse 15. When they saw the man who had been cured standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Right? Like they had no, no qualms. They had like, there was nothing that they could say when they saw the lame man with them, the man that had previously been lame with them. There was nothing that they perceived that they could say that was wrong. It was a work of God. It happened. There's evidence. And the people are excited about this. Yeah. And they're like, but you can't keep teaching in the name of Jesus. Right? You can't keep going around and spreading this reputation of Jesus because again this is important that this teaching the name of is teaching with the same character the same reputation well his reputation is what uh, not great in in the eyes of of overthrowing Rome right it, it, his reputation is one of subversive 
battling of the oppressor and of empowering people to find ways to stand up to the oppressor and to fight back against the oppressor without weapons, but with their body and with protest and with um, creating these interesting conflicts of calling out uh, leaders and authority and changing language from referring to Caesar as Lord to Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar as Prince of Peace, Jesus as Prince of Peace, and all this stuff that they're usurping the power of Rome. And so here is the authority saying, we can't deny that this happened. This is powerful. But we're not ready yet. Like, don't, don't do this. You're, you're going to cause us trouble. And again, you know, this goes back to reminding me of like the uh, white church leaders um, with MLK who were like, can you, when he wrote to them from prison, because they're like, can you slow down? The church isn't ready yet. Um, can you just, you're, you're rocking the boat too much. We need to slow down. And his response is, well, it isn't your children who are dying. The irony is in this moment, it is their children who are dying, the Jewish leaders. Um, but there's still the same kind of mindset of like, okay, we can't deny that this was from God. The people are happy. We're happy. We want people to be healed. We want to see the power of God. But don't teach in this name. Like the name is what's dangerous. This reputation that you're teaching in is dangerous. One person was already lynched for it. You're a threat to our well-being. And it's interesting because this is something I think that's really powerful that Empire does. Is Empire convinces marginalized groups to police themselves to keep them marginalized. Yeah. And so yeah. they convince them that the best interest of the Israelites, of the Jewish people, is to do this quietly. Don't, don't cause more problems. Like the idea of Rome coming in and squashing them is worse than just remaining in occupation. Um, and I, I think that that's the, that's the mindset that's passed on to marginalized communities. Yeah. And even, man, so you're, you're saying this and I'm thinking about, you know, uh, you brought up the letters from prison from MLK, but also how, um, not even marginalized communities tone police those who are marginalized. You know, uh, something that comes to mind are the, 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 the protests that have been happening over the last couple of months. Um, you know, oh, well, you know, you just people just need to uh, calm down and go through the channels or, you know, um, and, and how we act as agents of empire to keep, what, to keep the status quo. Yeah, I mean, we do it all the time. Um, and we'll call ourselves allies or pretend like we're allies saying we support what they're doing. We just don't support the way they're doing it. Um, we support that people are being healed. We just don't support the name in which they're doing it. We support people speaking out against police brutality. We just don't like the header BLM. Uh, and we're like, it's fine. Continue to fight to change police brutality. 
but don't use that banner black lives matter yeah. don't use that banner don't fight in under that uh sentence or statement or that concept and so we're seeing some of that in this here right is this picture of we want people to be healed and I think most people who are even anti-BLM uh, want to see equality, want to see uh, police brutality come to an end. They want to see justice. They just don't like the title it's under. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, that might upset their, what they perceive, they perceive it might upset their way of life if that title keeps getting passed around like think about it, the religious leaders are at the gr at, at great risk if they if they allow a group of people to continue to go around doing things under the under the you know the the title of Jesus under the reputation of Jesus um Rome will remove them as leaders yeah, I mean, and what we're seeing in this, I mean, in all of Acts that we've discussed this so far, but this specific part is how the um, crucifixion had no effect. Or the crucifixion had an effect, but the resurrection is what is pushing this forward. So as in, you know, normally when you see somebody die at the hands of the state, especially in a manner like that, it suppresses whatever movements are happening. Yeah. And it's designed to do that but it's having the opposite effect. Right. Yeah. I, so one of the things that I think kind of pulls some of this out too is in verse 12. So why don't you read verse 12? Okay. Uh, Salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. All right. So, using the concept of soterios that we talked about, right, of salvation as safety. Yes. Using name as reputation. Reread that with those, that lens, with that understanding. See okay. if you can. Yeah. Uh, safety is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be safe. So I think, so I, let me tweak a couple pieces here. Do right? it. Uh, my NRSV has a slightly different, but but generally the same, right? Uh, there is safety in no one else, right? Who currently does Israel believe determines their safety? Rome. Yeah, Caesar. Yeah. Caesar determines their safety. Pax Romano all the way. And here is this this moment where there is there is actually no safety under Rome is what's being said. There is no safety under Caesar. In fact, there is no safety under any other reputation or character in this world other than that of Jesus, right? Or Messiah, right? And it's by that which we will all be safe, right? The must be is, is, is kind of, in my opinion, more of a forced translation because that we want to make saved a, uh, a spiritual thing and therefore it's other than. 
whereas I would argue that this is more so about saying there is safety in no one else for there is no reputation, there is no uh, uh, personhood under heaven, therefore on earth, given among people by which we will be safe. safe. I, I just think that that's such a significant piece, right? In, in this reading of this passage is that it's easy for people to get caught up in the safety they perceive is given to them by empire and therefore never confront empire. I mean, think about this. Um, empire does this with poverty. How does empire do it with poverty? Um, I am not entirely sure. Rome called it breads and circuses. Oh, no shit. I'm sorry. Yes. Sorry. We talked about this, was it last week or the week before? The idea of providing um, food for them by saying, hey, look, look what we're doing. This is so good of us to do this. So you are getting this need and you're not getting it from anywhere else. Right. Yeah. When, you know, several years ago, I was part of an organization that did, you know, food distribution around the city of Toledo and almost exclusively all of our patrons were food stamp recipients, welfare recipients, right? And they, they're given just enough food each month to what? Survive. Survive. That's it. Not thrive. No. Have extras left in their cabinet at the end of the week not to have a surplus in case they can't get to the store one day, right? My, my spouse was working on a grocery order um, because we do the whole pickup at the grocery store instead of shopping now. And I was like, well, can we just wait till Wednesday? I have, a, I have to record on Tuesday. I have this other stuff going on Tuesday. And she's like, oh yeah, no problem. We can wait till Wednesday, right? We have a surplus in our pantry. Now my 16 year or I'm sorry, now 17 year old just turned 17. My 17 year old uh, would disagree that we have a surplus of food in our house. Yeah. Uh, as it seems every cabinet he opens has nothing in it, uh, according to him. But in general, we have a surplus. And so there isn't, we aren't waiting for that welfare check to arrive. We're not waiting for the food stamps to kick in. We're not waiting for these things. We have extra and this is what empire does so effectively. Think about it, even with welfare. We had a friend, a dear friend of ours, who single mom had a handful of kids um, and she was working a job. They offered her, they gave her a Christmas bonus. She had to turn it down because the Christmas bonus would have pushed her past the threshold of her welfare and she would have lost Medicaid for her children. And two of her children are have severe complications, health complications. So instead of her family having a wonderful, maybe even say normal-esque Christmas, she instead had to turn down this extra money that would have been a huge boon for her household because Empire had her. Because empire has convinced 
us that they're helping the poor while all along keeping them in their place, right? Rome in this instance has convinced Israel that they have autonomy. Yeah. They don't have autonomy. If they did have autonomy, they wouldn't be worried about what's going on right now. They would only be celebrating the healing instead of trying to curtail the way in which that healing is talked about or expressed, right? So this is just, this is this concept of, of how empire works. It keeps people marginalized intentionally, right? Think about minimum wage. Minimum wage has not kept up with inflation. Oh yeah. I mean, and you know, do you look at, um, people say unemployment numbers have gone down, which is true in one sense, but if you're working two jobs or you're working one job that doesn't pay enough because of minimum wage, or it's lower than that, um, you have to find another job on top of that to supplement the income that you are not receiving from another one. So in one sense, yes, jobs are down in another sense. They, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, a false positive. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, it's the whole argument right now, you know, with everything going on with COVID and the stimulation stimulus package that was given, which gave an extra $600 of unemployment benefits that the argument was, if we continue to do that, people won't want to return to work. And it's like, well, people don't want, want, want to return to work because minimum wage has not kept up with minimum necessity to survive. Yeah. And this again is a way in which we keep people in their place. And we, we will point to the one or two people that inexplicably in some ways uh, have escaped poverty and have gone into affluence of some kind or another, right? Whether we point at athletes or we point at uh, uh, business people, uh, college graduates, whatever it might be, we point to folks and we say, look, see, it works. But let me ask you this, George, if I, if I told you I had a new invention and it worked less than 1% of the time, would you say that that is a successful invention? No. Especially when what's clear is that with a few tweaks, with a few just small minor adjustments, it would work way more often. Uh, maybe flip that completely to it works 99% of the time. And this is what we do, right? This is what we participate in. And then empire has taught us these, this language. Oh, they're lazy. If they just, I love this one. If they just got a better job, or, you know, maybe they, maybe they should get a higher education because I don't know about you, George, but I appreciate how free that is to get oh, a higher. Absolutely. I mean, I, I just, um, you know, <laughs> restarted cl classes for the first time in, in a few years. And I love how they're just giving this away because I'm asking for it. Yeah. 
this is this is where this passage to me is interesting and i realize we're not diving in a whole lot into specifics of of the text itself and we're just using it as kind of a uh, a premise but I really think it's an important one to recognize. Like, what are the things that you and I participate in that maintains the status quo of empire? But because we say we believe something different, we're okay with it. Um, the, sorry, the, it's a very broad yet also kind of specific question. So I'm trying to, so I don't know, I guess, uh, voting, <laughs> you know, Same I one. mean, uh, okay. So, uh, the electoral college, you know, the idea is if I vote for somebody for president, my vote should count in that. Um, but if I remember correctly and not all States require the electoral college to go with the vote for, with the populace, you know, the 2000 election is an example. And so is, I don't know if some of you know this, the 2016 election uh, for president, the popular vote did not reflect the electoral vote. And so somebody else won the election. And I recognize that we forget that we're a representative democracy and that, you know, it's always been designed that those who have power and affluence control what is going on. But we've bought into the lie that every person counts. Right. Just some people count more than others. Yes. I mean, in this, in our, in the way our system works, we still have individuals, though not all black people, but we still have individuals that are only three fifths of a vote. Because of depending on where they live and depending on what the population is and depending on what the electoral college uh, numbers represent and there are some places in which a person's vote counts for more sure um so i i think another example is some things like just transportation right we live in a car culture cars are expensive they're a luxury yet we say that every person has to have one or we demand that people have them in order to have much opportunity in the world, you have to have access to a vehicle. Um, if you don't, I know like for instance, in Toledo, our public transit is horrid. Um, the way our, our bus system works is a hub and spoke system, which means you could spend hours to get someplace that would take you 25 minutes in a car it would take you an hour and a half to two hours to get somewhere if you don't own a car and so there's so much about that that says you and i if we have access to a car we don't think anything about it day to day it doesn't even cross our mind and then when we think about well i see places hiring all the time how do you not have a job and we don't think about the fact that they don't have access to that location or that it would take them four hours of commuting daily to go somewhere just like 10 miles away um, in order to work minimum wage. 
which if you add four hours to that eight hour shift of minimum wage, you are now working 12 hours and now you're making less than minimum wage. This is just all part of this system that you and I have bought into. Um, our listeners have probably bought into that we don't even notice going on around us. Right? Like we don't notice the fact that schools are funded based on property tax. So it benefits uh, suburbs. But then you get to a place where there's poverty. Well, guess what poverty means when it comes to housing? Less, less valuable homes. And oftentimes not even owned homes. And so all of a sudden the property tax is much lower, which means the teachers are paid much less, which means the school conditions are worse, which means that the extracurriculars and the equipment and all the stuff that the school has access to is, is less. Let's say what extracurriculars, because those are usually the first to go in those cuts. So this is the, this is the thing that's upsetting, right? Is that, and you and I, George, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We might say we care, but it doesn't bother us day to day. Yeah. Because empire benefits us. And we're in a system that we say empire's bad, down with empire, equality and equity for all. And then we get in our car and drive and pick up our kid from our suburban high school. And we go, oh, how was your day? And don't think twice about what we just did or what we had access to. Um, and and I'm not saying that you should feel guilty to have access to that because I think we should all try it the best that we can to give our family and our household and our neighbors access. But that doesn't give us permission to dismiss but what instead it does is it allows us to buy into, in order for ourselves to feel better about that participation, right? We allow ourselves to buy into stereotypes of people in order that we feel better. So I know lots of well-meaning people that still refer to places as the ghetto or the hood um, yeah. or refer to something bad or uh, less than as that's so ghetto, right? Um, well, you're contributing to the problem when you do that, right? Like I imagine our listeners listening to this podcast where they know where we stand with inclusion would be terribly offended if I said, George, stop acting like a girl. Or if I said, George, that's so gay. But yet we'll say things that are uh, socioeconomic uh, put downs that will participate in to keep people marginalized, right? When we call someone a girl to minimize them, or we call someone gay to minimize them, we are participating in continuing to keep a segment of our population marginalized. And when we say something is ghetto, we are participating in empire, keeping a segment of our population marginalized. And we're no different than these religious leaders in this story in Acts 4. Yeah. And I think we've talked about the, I know we've talked about the language that we've used before around this. Um, 
And I love how you tied it into um, acting like the leaders in this segment, especially since, you know, what the, while I'm not overly um, reliable, or not reliable, my memory isn't as great as it used to be when it comes to acts, but, you know, this isn't that far after, this doesn't take that, this doesn't take place that much longer after the crucifixion. So the people in the room were present during Jesus's trial. Yes. And so what we like to do is cast those individuals into a negative light in the weeks leading up to Easter Mm -hmm. and keep them in that light and not recognize that we ourselves are those leaders because we always like to imagine ourselves as the heroes of the story. I mean, you know, there's, uh, hold on, I'm off my phone. There's a passage, uh, uh, I'm trying to find, Oh, it's, uh, I think it's verse 19, but Peter and John answered, or when they're saying, hey, don't speak in, in the name of Jesus anymore, it's Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in God's sight to listen to you or rather than to God, you must judge for we cannot keep from speaking about what we have uh, seen and heard. You know, just the idea of, you know, oh, whether or not this is from God, you've got to figure that out because we know what we've seen from God and we have to move forward in that. I have been that asshole who is, who is, uh, postured myself like that because I believe I know the text better than someone. And the, the idea that when we read Acts, we always read ourselves as the apostles or those in the 5,000 or those who are meeting the needs instead of me, George, as a scribe or an elder. Yeah. And well, I mean, that's called the halo effect quite literally if it's yeah. reading the Bible that we want to assume the best of ourselves and and that's okay the problem is is that when it's pointed out to us if we can't accept the fact right and i would even argue here in our whiteness george and our maleness we're not even as good as the elders and scribes here we're the roman oppressors oh yeah so we're not even as we're not even as good as the leaders in Israel. We're less than that, right? Um, And, you know, this is, this section to me is one of the biggest, and I I feel like I say this a lot, so there's clearly a lot of problems, but one of the largest problems the church faces is that it would rather keep empire satiated than to, uh, to actually pursue a scriptural way of participating in the world. Like we would rather keep empire happy than to go against it. Think about how many people got in line with Trump, even though they had spent probably their entire life preaching against the type of life that Trump lived. But in order to keep empire happy, they adjusted and they said, you know, that was locker room talk. Um, And while we don't know the full story of the affairs and we don't know, blah, 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 whatever it might be. We, we reconcile behavior of empire. Listen, I, I think the church did that more progressive churches did that during the Obama administration. 
Sure. I mean, uh, I, that's that's the problem right. when we look for uh, Messiah in a political environment. I'm, I mean, that's what we do every year. We we look for Messiah in the presidential election. We don't realize it's what we're doing, but that's exactly what we're doing on on every side, because we want that person to bring in and usher our view of what peace is and not what, uh, you know, a, a, a proper biblical or theological narrative is. And I, and I hesitate using proper biblical theological because those words have been used to um, dehumanize and to cause serious uh, uh, issues of abuse over the years in the church. But we, when we don't take the time to look at, you know, our own theological worldview, that's, that's what, I don't know, I've lost the narrative. Well, you know, I think that, so if Biden is to be elected this November, I imagine that a lot of the unrest, particularly white affluent progressive Christians uh, pursued during Trump's presidency will dissipate. Oh, yeah the protests against police brutality will drop off significantly if Biden is elected. Because in some way, we imagine that it's fixed. And we buy into this idea that empire uh, is equivalent to or reduces the call or the role of the church to continue fighting against empire. Listen, if Biden is president or Trump is president starting at the end of this year, we still live in an empire. We still, the, the social security issues, the welfare issues, the housing issues, the police brutality issues, the uh, mass incarceration issues, the marginalization of LGBTQ individuals, all of these things are still going to be a problem. And guess whose voice is gonna get louder and whose voice is gonna get quieter? The conservative voice is gonna get louder and the progressive voice is gonna get quieter. And it can't be that way. We have to resist that. We have to fight against that. The most powerful thing that the church, and I'm talking specifically in this moment about the more progressive, more progressive end of the church can do, is to continue to critique and protest empire behaviors, even if we like the person that is leading it. We can't, Constantine, is one of the largest problems in Christendom because a Christian became emperor or Caesar. Like that is, that was one of the worst things that could happen in the world. We need to recognize that it doesn't stop. We can't go, well, we have a good thing going here right now, right? This is what the leaders are saying in Acts 4. We have a good thing going here right now. It's great that this person was healed. It's great that people are praising God. And yet we can't find a single reason not to say that this is good. But please stop celebrating and teaching in the name of someone who critiqued empire. Stop. Please stop doing that. 
And this to me is exactly what we're faced with. I hope we get louder if Biden is elected and we get louder because we believe that there might be someone that can listen and hear the critique. And I hope it doesn't convince us that, hey, finally, all these years, these four years of protests, we can stop now because we got our guy. Now, listen, I know a lot of progressives do not like Biden, but I'm saying it's, it's at least not that other guy type thinking. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. diet. What's that? I said, sorry for the diatribe. <laughs> Um, for our new listeners, this is uh, something that happens every so often, so it's okay. Um, and that is super frustrating, especially this time of the year. You know, the months leading up to an election are always, they feel always contentious in Christendom, um, whether you're in the physical church or outside of it. For me, I don't know if it feels worse this year, uh, just because, you know, I'm not around other people to have those conversations. Because, uh, you know, I mean, it's inevitable. Uh, whether you want to or not, you see Jesus in the political figure that you want to be elected. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just how our minds work because, you know, you brought up Constantine uh, becoming Christian, who was also Caesar. And so from this point forward, we intrinsically tie politics in our faith. Absolutely. And, and God. Oh, ab- Yes. Absolutely. The, the, the sovereignty of God. Well, this is always, you know, Trump was always going to be president because God always has a plan. And so when we see these moments in Acts 4, where you've got those who recognize that, you know, things are not great, but they're air quote as good as they can be right now. Don't rock the boat because we don't know how much worse things can get. Yep. Um, yeah, which, you know, I think that was a pretty helpful diatribe because it's something that at least most of the people I'm talking about or talking to right now are, are thinking. Um, so before we wrap up, because I know we've got I don't know, about 10 minutes left, uh, are there any parts that jumped out to you? or? I just think that to me, again, the the one piece that just keeps being repeated over and over and over again, and we're going to see it alluded to, in chapter five again is in verse 32 where it says now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions but everything they owned was held in common i'm not saying that jesus was a communist <laughs> but i'm saying that they the people recognize that the way that Caesar, that Rome maintained power was to dictate dependency on Rome. And what the apostles are doing here are taking and stripping the power of Rome, having power over the people by making them dependent on them to provide. Instead, the people are being provided for by one another. And I just think about this and, you know, we've talked about it and I'm going to talk about it again. I'm going to talk about it again. I'm going to talk about it again. And eventually maybe it'll sink in that as Christians, if we truly want to bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth, 
if we truly want to uh, oppose empire, we take away from it the very thing that is what allows it to maintain its power. And that is a caste system, a system of socioeconomic disparity, a system of access, right? Like, if, if we change the language here in verse 32 to that everyone had access for their needs, that becomes way more powerful in a world where access is something that is missing. You go into an impoverished neighborhood, they, there is no access. We talked about having a car, right? If you don't have a car, in most impoverished neighborhoods across our country, you don't have access to a grocery store. You have access to a corner store, but you don't have an access to a grocery store, which means that you're paying three times the price for half the quality of food, right? Yeah. And so there's a lot of people that right now with COVID are going to be being educated from home, but they don't have access to a quality laptop or computer, or they don't have access to internet. In this moment in verse 32, they're saying that everyone in their midst, they assured them they had access to the things they needed to survive. And Man, just think about this, George. And I say this so much, and eventually, God willing, we'll see it come to fruition. If the faithful in this country actually lived, functioned, breathed, ate, and lived this way, we would change the United States. I would argue we would change the world if just Christians in the United States, honestly, if just Christians in the city of Toledo, Ohio, or whatever city you're listening to this from, if Christians in that city alone all of a sudden functioned in this way, I'd be willing to bet you it would change your entire state or region. Um, I think that if an entire state lived this way, it would change the country. If the entire country lived this way, it would change the world. If the entire world functioned this way, it would change history. Yes, is is the secret. This is the good news that if you are amongst the faithful, you have access to all that you need. The good news is that the kingdom of God guarantees access for everyone. Yes. Yeah. I, I, I was it two weeks ago that we talked about this with Acts 2 and Shavuot. So, I mean, it feels longer, honestly. <laughs> so, you know, we talk more, a little bit more about that in, in that episode and our Easter episode, which is up right now, but it's just, and you know what the, the thing that you're, so you're talking about um, privileged access because that's what it is, that this is where privilege shines through um, in a, in a way that you can't ignore it. Uh, you you know, you were talking about the car and I'm just thinking, oh, okay, well, privilege is not something you can not argue out of that. And so, you know, with the work that I, I do as a outreach director, we're talking about how we can potentially 
provide a space with reliable internet for kids in our neighborhood that may not have access to it. And the way that you have to work with an empire to, in order, in order to make that happen with insurance alone in a time of COVID, it's just like the, these foot, these stumbling blocks are set up in order for us to say, well, this is too hard. Yep. And go ahead. You were about to say something. No, I, I, I was just in agreement with you. I was just going to fan the flames more. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't know. So I guess uh, hopefully this week, listener, you can find some way to rock the boat. Yes. Rock the boat. Well, I think that's a good spot to wrap up. Um and you know we're we're at times. So uh, if you haven't, check us out. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon at Evander Bros. Uh, if you have any agreements, disagreements, or things you wanted to hear more about but we didn't get to, shoot us an email, evangerbros at gmail.com. And uh, you know, last week we we were very um, excited and honored and I don't know any other adjectives that jump to mind, but to join the Our Bible app family um, as being a listed podcast there. So if you're listening to us for the first time through that, welcome. Um, hopefully you check out our backlog. <laughs> Let me just say as, as a pansexual pastor, um, being a part of the Our Bible app and being a part of um, – a progressive movement that is trying to create space in which access for those of which the church has unfortunately traditionally marginalized is so important to me. Um, and I just encourage you to check out their app. If you haven't check out the other featured uh, podcasts, other featured articles and stuff on there, they have a premium membership. That's just a few dollars a month. Support them. Uh, I highly recommend it. Great great organization i love what they're doing um and just encourage you to check them out absolutely uh, that was yes yes absolutely um another podcast that's featured on there is reclaiming my theology which is a phenomenal podcast i highly recommend it um yeah well i have been your co-host george i've been your other co-host don have a great week everyone bye